How are you doing? Good? Are you enjoying the heat? <laughs> it's a lot. Happy August. I'm actually going to start off with praying, if that's okay. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, yeah, first of all, we thank you for the heat. We thank you that you are in this place. And I pray that in this time that you would just illuminate our hearts and may we hear you afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. I think I said tonight, I mean today. <laughs> um, so the title of my talk today is In Over My Head. And I just wanted to start off by admitting something. And I don't think I've ever admitted this on a public forum, but you guys are family, so I'm going to admit it today. And it's particularly not helpful in a context like this, in the heat like this. But what I wanted to admit is that I can't really swim. And um, I can't really swim, and I have tried for years. I've had multiple friends and different family members try to help me with my technique, but I don't float, I just sink. And I don't know why God didn't give me this ability, the ability um, to swim. I don't know why he didn't give it to me. I really felt like one day I could be the black Michael Phelps. But since, <laughs> but since I can't swim, I just have to settle for being a vicar. And, yeah, so it's, it's a second best job. But, you know, <laughs> um, I remember I first realized that I wasn't much of a swimmer when my family went to Florida and when I was 10 years old and we took a trip um, to a water park. We went to a water park. And in this water park, I found myself on one of those giant inflatable donuts and I was just chilling on the waters. And honestly, in the shallow area, it was completely fine. My feet could touch the ground. But as I was daydreaming about lunch, I, I didn't realize that the waves had slowly been pushing me further and further away from shore. And surprise, um, a surprise to me, I didn't notice that all of a sudden I was six feet deep, like the waters underneath my feet were six feet deep. And obviously being a 10-year-old kid who was only four feet deep, four feet tall, this was obviously a big deal to me. And I could see that the waves were pushing me towards eight feet. So I decided that I need to do something and I need to do something quick. And even though I am not a swimmer, I felt like it's smart for me to jump into the waters to quickly swim to the other side and quickly grab onto one of the railings. So I remember saying a quick prayer in my head, counting down from 10, and I jumped into the waters. And the minute I jumped into the waters, the sirens went off. And then within 10 seconds of being in the waters, someone jumped in, grabbed me by the waist, and they were swimming me back to shore. And when I got to shore, no exaggeration, there was thousands of people cheering. Woo! Woo! You saved him! You saved him! He's okay! He's okay! And honestly, it was probably one of the most embarrassing moments in my whole life. <laughs> and I remember walking back to the exit gate and people like random Americans, I love Americans, but random Americans were coming up to me saying, oh, I, I'm so happy you're okay. You have to be careful next time. Da -da -da. And they would like rub my hair or like um, give me bear hugs and stuff like that. And yeah, that's, that's, that's the day I realized that I probably need to let go of my dream of being the next Michael Phelps, even though, you know, the butterfly stroke is a beautiful thing. I just had to let go of my dream of being the black Michael Phelps. And I'm happy to say that I am not alone when it comes to not being a swimmer. 
If you look at the book of Matthew, especially Matthew chapter 14, we can see that Matthew, that Peter actually is not a swimmer as well. And we are going to take a look at his story today. So in Matthew chapter 14, it shows us, it talks about how Jesus performed an amazing miracle. And he basically broke um, five loaves of bread and two fishes, and he multiplied it to the point that it fed over 5,000 people. And our reference text is going to be following that account. So from Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, after Jesus does this amazing miracle, it says, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go in ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. I'll read that one more time. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So the first thing to note here is that this was Jesus's idea. It was Jesus's idea to send his disciples out on a boat so they can go to the other side. He compelled them to go despite what they were going to face. And in verse 23, we see what happens. He says, after he had dismissed them, he went on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So long story short, Jesus sends them straight into a storm or at the very least allows them to experience a storm. And there's times when God allows you to experience something that turns out to be very different from what you actually expected. And why is this? Sometimes that might, God might actually allow you to experience difficulty in specific areas. And why does he do this? As we find out later, there's some aspects of God that are made so clear to us when we are in a stormy season, when we're literally in over our heads, when life is too much to handle, when our defenses are down, when we've exhausted all of our different options and God is our only option. We see God clearly in these moments. And I love something that Brian Johnson once said. He said, consider it all joy when Christ is your only option because you get to see him clearly. And sometimes as Christians, we assume that God will not send us into something that is difficult or something that is scary or something that is costly or even painful or maybe even lonely because God loves us. But I just need to tell you that that is not true. It's actually out of the love that God has for us that he pushes us out, he pushes us out of our own confinement and our own limitations so we can experience more of who he is and encounter a deeper relationship with him. And we see this later on in the text. This happens. So the disciples obey Jesus, they go on the boat, and the wind and the waves are basically um, crashing against them. They are literally in over their heads. And when we're in over our heads, when there's external pressure, when life overwhelms us, we tend to do a few things that we see in this account. The first thing that we tend to do is that we misidentify God and we often fail to recognize God in the midst of a storm. In verse 25 of the text, it says this. It says, Shortly before dawn, 
Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. They say it is a ghost. They cried out in fear. And I remember a few months ago, I was walking down London Bridge. I was just enjoying the scenery. And then all of a sudden, it turned pitch black. And I was thinking, oh no, someone has put a bag over my head and they are taking me hostage. <laughs> and I literally, I literally said to myself, I may never see my friends or family again. And then I remembered, wait, I'm Christian. I'll see them in heaven. Glory be to God. <laughs> and after a minute or so of darkness, my sight came back and it was just my friend playing Guess Who? <laughs> And it wasn't some madman trying to abduct, abduct me. And I completely misidentified my friend for an abductor. And I'm sure he really appreciated that. Never did I think it could be my friend playing a game with me. My instant response was to think that this whole situation has been orchestrated to harm me. And the disciples in the midst of a storm misidentified Jesus. You know, Jesus, who they spent so much time with, they basically thought, this is a ghost that's coming to harm us, rather than a loving saviour and a friend who is coming to deliver them. And again, when we're in situations where we're in over our heads, when things get too much for us, when disappointment comes, we often fail to recognise God in these moments. Our default is to interpret anything that comes our way with pessimism and with fear, rather than potential signs of grace and breakthrough. So where perhaps might God be at work in your context today? And there's also other examples we find in scripture where the disciples actually fail to recognize God. For example, in Luke chapter 24, on the day that Jesus literally rose again from the grave and defeated death, Scripture tells us that two of Jesus' followers were walking down to Emmaus and they were talking about everything that had happened. They were literally saying how Jesus had been arrested, how he had been crucified and, and they were deeply depressed. Scripture says that they were downcast. And Jesus comes alongside of them and Jesus walks beside them and starts talking to them but they were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus says, oh, what are you guys talking about? And they said that, you know, we're talking about a very powerful man, you know, a man who did great works before God and before all people. And he was killed. And we hoped that he would be the person to redeem our people. He would be the person to redeem Israel. So imagine this. They are talking to Jesus about Jesus. And Jesus basically plays along. <laughs> and he just continues acting like, you know... Um, yeah, just continues going along with all of this. And Jesus opens up scripture with them and tells them all about this Jesus guy, a.k.a. himself. And it's only later on when they're having a meal together, when they are breaking bread together, that Jesus' followers, these two people, realize and they recognize, oh my gosh, we've been with Jesus this whole time. And when they recognize Jesus, he disappears. What a moment. But look what the disciples say to each other after this moment. They say this in Luke chapter 24, verse 32. They asked each other, 
were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I'll read that one more time. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So one of the ways to identify God at work in the midst of a storm when we're in over our heads is that he will always address the nature of your heart. God will aim to shift you from a place of hopeless anxiety, of insecurity, to a place of stillness, calmness, and a re-energizing of the heart. And he does this often, even before he brings the breakthrough and before he brings the deliverance. He addresses your heart first. And this is why in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the waves and the wind, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, take courage in verse 27. He says, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. He addresses the heart. Take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. And in verse 28, Peter replies, he says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to the water. And I love Peter because Peter is basically saying, Lord, Jesus, if it is you, tell me to do something that I will not logically do, just so I'm not imagining this moment, just so I'm not completely out of my mind. Tell me to come to the waters. And I feel like Peter understands something about Jesus that the other disciples in the boat hadn't yet grasped. He knew that if it was Jesus, Jesus would not allow him to remain in his fear that Jesus will call him to contradict the internal fear and the fear that surrounded him. So he says, Jesus, call me onto the waters. And Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking towards Jesus. He starts walking towards Jesus. So Peter right here is a great example of faith. And I can just imagine all of the other disciples watching, like, oh my gosh, he's actually doing it. He's actually walking on water. But it says this in verse 30. But when he, Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. So Peter first saw the wind, then fear filled his heart, then he started sinking. So it was his sight, his heart, and then he started sinking. And this is the issue when we shift our attention, when we shift our attention from Jesus to the circumstances around us. It affects the temperament of our heart, it affects the nature of our faith, and it leads to a downward spiral. But God, being a merciful God, in verse 31, it says, Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? And I think this whole account, in this whole account, we see three different levels of faith at work here. And some of us, we might recognize ourselves at, at these different levels. The first level of faith is the faith of the disciples who are still in the boat. And for a second, I know some of you guys are here in this church, some of you guys are online at home, but for a second, I want you to imagine you're at a theme park. And the best way I can describe these people who would be at the first level of faith, the disciples in the boat, 
are those people in a theme park that get all the way to the front of a line of a roller coaster. And as they get to the front of the line, they can clearly see what they're about to embark on. And then they turn to the person behind them and say, oh, sorry, after you. <laughs> yeah. And the person behind them is like, oh, but you've been waiting a long time. They're like, no, 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 you've been waiting even longer, like, you know, uh, after you. And they seem polite and courteous, but inside they are wetting themselves. And they're like, I cannot do this. And they say after you because, honestly, maybe you're the type of person here in this room that does this. Honestly, they want to see if you will survive. And if you do survive, then maybe they will do it. And when it comes to faith, sometimes these people are like, God, I will only do this thing if someone else does it first. And if it goes well with them, then I will obey you to do it as well. These people need to see it in order to believe it. Then the second level of faith is the faith of Peter, the go-getter. And when it comes to a theme park ride, I can imagine the go-getter is like the type of person, whilst everyone is basically, you know, um, deliberating among themselves, should we go on this ride or not? The go-getter is like, Psh, get out of my way. Let, let me get on this ride. You guys are just a bunch of wimps. Let me show you how it's done. So the go-getter now comes onto the ride and, it's, and they get strapped in and they're like, you see, this is so easy. And then the ride starts off slowly and steadily and they're like, you see, you guys had nothing to worry about. I told you it was calm. Then all of a sudden, there's an 80 mile per hour drop. The ride takes a drastic turn and they are screaming, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And they instantly start regretting going on this right. These type of people had the faith to get out of the boat, but they don't have the faith to stay out of the boat. And this is a helpful picture if you want to know what these people are like. <laughs> they had the faith to get out of the boat, but stay out of the boat is another story. Then there's the third level of faith, which is the faith of Jesus. The, this person on a roller coaster ride is the person that just enjoys the journey. And this reminds me of a friend I once had back in the day called Daniel. And Daniel was a roller coaster enthusiast. He literally had an annual membership to Thorpe Park. And I couldn't understand his obsession with roller coasters, honestly. I, I never understood it, but different strokes for different folks. And he took me to Fort Park for the first time, and he was like, Wale, you have to try my favorite ride called Stealth. I'm like, I don't like the name. Why is it called Stealth? <laughs> well, like, you have to try, I don't know who names these things, but there's another ride called Nemesis, go for a bit. But anyway, you have to try my favorite ride, Stealth. And Stealth literally had an 80, mile per hour, 80 miles per hour drop. And all the way up, I was like, I am going to die. This is the day I meet my creator. And I literally was telling myself, Wale, it's okay. You've had 16 great years on this earth. And I honestly wondered, would my sister take my bedroom when I'm gone? And when we got on the ride, especially during the 80 mile per hour drop, my emotions heightened. Internally, I was speaking in tongues because I didn't want to be weird. But I was going crazy and telling them, I'm like, this is the moment I go. And I remember turning towards my friend and he was grinning like this. 
And he looked over to me. He was like, Wale, isn't this great? And I'm like, oh my gosh, not only am I going to die, but all this time I've been friends with a madman. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is not the way I expected to go. And obviously, despite my belief system, I didn't die. Glory be to God. <laughs> but after reflecting, I did think what made my friend Daniel so joyful throughout the whole ride. And the thing is, Daniel had an annual membership to Thorpe Park. You know, he had been on this ride so many times. He knew every loop and he knew every turn. So therefore, he knew what was coming up so he could remain joyful throughout the whole journey. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 24, despite the wind and the waves, despite the outward pressure, he is a non-anxious presence because he knew the journey. He knew what was coming up. And we are in a relationship with a God who knows the journey, who knows what's coming up. And that's why if we see in verse 31, Jesus says to Peter, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Peter, you know that I've called you to be a fisher of men. Did you expect me to allow you to die with the fishes? Like, come on, Peter, what's going on? Jesus was teaching Peter to not be easily intimidated when things seem like they're not going to plan. When your situation seems so life-threatening, when it seems so difficult, Jesus was teaching Peter how to hold on to his word. And Jesus does this by questioning Peter's doubt. He literally says, why did you doubt? In other words, why did you have more faith in you drowning than me sustaining you? Why did you have more why did the waves look bigger to you than I look to you? Jesus questions Peter's doubt. And I think it's time that we start questioning our own doubt as well. I think it's time we start reassessing the rationale for some of our own unbelief and for some of our own fear as well. What grounds do they have? What grounds and what right do they have to stand in the presence of a mighty God? Some time ago, um, one of my friends made a mistake and it seemed like it was going to cost him his job. And he was filled with so much fear and so much uncertainty to the point that he wasn't really doing well at all. And one day I came over to his family's house to see how he was doing and to pray for him. And honestly, he was filled with so much anxiety and he was deeply emotional. And while we were talking, his mom comes into the living room and says, don't worry, all is well, God is faithful. And she just struts out of the living room eating her food. And I'm like, bro, your mom is a boss. <laughs> and he was like, I know she has so much faith, but I, my faith is not as strong as hers. An hour later, while I was there, um, he receives a call and it's not good news, and it looks like he's going to be let go. And instantly, he just started weeping. And his mum comes in again, overhears the call, and says the same words, don't worry, all is well, God is faithful. Bear in mind, he has just been told bad news. And later that day, I took my friend on a walk to basically just clear his mind. And even though I feel like I'm a man of faith, you know, I was just like, bro, we need to figure out different options, you know. <laughs> what, what, what is next for you <laughs> and stuff? 
and he receives another call from the same people that caught him. And they basically say to him that we know what you did is a mistake and we don't feel like it's worth penalizing you because of it. You're in the clear. So sorry for putting you um, under unnecessary pressure and stress. And after that call, we were jumping, we were praising God and we ran back to his to tell his mom. And his mom was like, see, didn't I tell you? Don't worry, all is well, God is faithful. And honestly, I don't think I've ever been in awe of someone's faith like that in my whole life. I was so in awe of her faith. She did not waver once in her, she did not waver once in her faith, despite the bad news that came earlier. And it wasn't that she didn't know her son's situation. She did, she was extremely empathetic, but she knew how faithful her God is. And even though she didn't know what would happen to her son, she had seen too much of God's faithfulness. She knew too much about his faithfulness. And she knew the love that God had for her son, that she could not give herself over to, to being worried, to being worried. And she could not give herself over to anxiety. And understanding the faithfulness of God means you won't easily get intimidated when life doesn't go your way. And my friend will never forget how God showed him mercy in his job situation. And I'm sure on a similar note, Peter will never forget how Jesus saved him from drowning. In both of these experiences, they saw clearly that God is to be trusted. And I just want to say that afresh to you, that God is to be trusted. And that's the beauty of going through seasons when we're literally in over our heads, when life is too much for us. We come out seeing more of who God truly is. We come out of seeing him more clearly. And that's why in verse 32, it says this, after Jesus saved Peter, it says, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. So it was in the storm that the disciples realized that truly Jesus is the son of God. Just watch that. They moved from a place of fearing the storm to worshiping Jesus. And I feel like the Lord wants to do that same transition for some of us here today. For some of us, perhaps we are in a storm right now. Perhaps we are literally in over our heads. Perhaps we are suffering um, financially or maybe have tension in our household and our family affairs. Perhaps there's a situation where you feel like this is way over what I can handle. I just want to ask you, what do you think God might be teaching you in this season? What part of his nature does he want to make known to you in this moment? Perhaps a savior, perhaps a steady or fervent hand that will never let go. Perhaps a comforter, a restorer, a forgiver, a lover, even when everyone else, all of your alternatives and options have left you. Who is God trying to reveal like, what part of his nature is he trying to reveal to you today? For a believer, times when we're in over our heads, times where it feels stormy, these are times and it's an invitation to know Jesus more. 
And I think lastly, this account that we just read is a challenge on how we will respond in these stormy seasons. Just reiterating all those three different levels of faith. These are different ways we can, res- we can respond in a stormy season. The first way is that we can stay in the boat, remain passive and paralyzed by our fear. Or perhaps we can step out, try to trust God, but get intimidated on the journey. Or will we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and hold on to him to the point that the storm passes? And as I get older, I realize that these stormy seasons that we often find ourselves in, it's not just a season for me to get derailed and confused, but actually, primarily, it's an excellent opportunity to demonstrate my faith and my hope in Jesus. And I think it does matter how we respond in these seasons. So I just want to reiterate, for some of us, perhaps we are having tension, difficulty in our households, perhaps even financially. Perhaps there's a diagnosis that you are not happy to hear about. How would you respond in this season? Because ultimately, Jesus wants to walk with you through this season.